and welcome to 9 to 42, the podcast from the team at the Guitar Show UK. Join us for interviews, updates and chat with artists, influencers and those that manufacture the gear that we love. Hello and welcome to 9 to 42, uh, which is the podcast from the guys at the Guitar Show UK. And this is the first episode of the new year, except it's the third go at the thir- first episode of the new year, <laughs> if that makes any kind of sense. Jace, how are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. I uh, had a good week on the Guitar Show. Um, book Luke Morley this week. You're you going did to book Luke Morley. Um, so that's quite exciting, and uh, yeah, and must confess that I'm late on sorting out podcasts because I don't have the mental capacity to deal with the guitar show in a month's time and do the podcast truthfully. Mm. And I don't have the mental capacity to do the podcast and press the record button. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> Which is why the first effort at this, the first 15 minutes of this, has been lost in the void. <laughs> And we're starting, and we're starting again. But great, great news about Luke Morley. I'm actually quite excited, but also quite nervous, because you've landed me with that, haven't you? Yeah, well, I know you're a big Thunder fan. So, I'm a big Thunder uh, fan. Uh, Joel McIver uh, messaged me yesterday and said, do you want me to interview Luke? And I was like, oh. And then he told me he wrote their um, biography. So uh, no pressure, but the guy oh. that wrote the book with them, um, oh. I've bumped for you. Oh, I feel I right. Okay, so I'm not worried now, then, am I? <laughs> no, in the slightest. Um, we have Rosie from Turnstone Guitars with us. I mean, she's been with us a while. Obviously, we've been chatting for a while. But as far as you're concerned, listener, we have Rosie from Turnstone with us. Rosie, how are you? I'm very well. Thank you so much for having me. Again. Uh, yes, again. <laughs> How's your new year going? How's everything with you? How's 2023 started off? It started off really well. It started off a little bit cold, as it probably is the same with you. You're a little bit further up north than me, but it, um, it's been yeah pretty cold in the workshop. But that's kind of meant that we kept moving. So got lots going on. And um, so far, so good. And we've ascertained that you're somewhere near Gatwick and you're not really sure exactly where from Gatwick, are you? <laughs> well, we've ascertained that I'm east of Gatwick, um, <laughs> under the flight path. Um, so we can enjoy the the uh, every three minute rumbles, assuredly knowing that an aeroplane is flying over our heads. Mm. And does that have any impact on your? I mean, because let's think let's think about this: building acoustic instruments under a flight path is that really a good idea? Um, I think yeah, it definitely has resonant properties. The rumbles of the aeroplane penetrate through the wood <laughs> that we're working, um, kind of like a. Um, an extreme torification process that supples the resins in the wood and um, basically, yeah, makes our guitars so so much better than anyone else's. Aerotone, it's called Aerotone. <laughs> That's all shit, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. We were we were talking when we when we had the first bit of the chat. Um, we I, I guess the question I asked you first was what you know what was your what was your first guitar? When did you when did you start playing guitar? Yeah. And uh, and you told us you had an, an an aria. That was your first, wasn't it? It was indeed from a shop in St Albans. Oh, which shop? Um, down near the Horn. 
uh, uh, is it called the Horn? The, the live music pub down there. Oh, I don't remember what it's called, but it was on a corner, not in the main part of town, just out town towards the railway station. I think surrounded I... by metal grates, like protection grates. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I've been, I'm trying to think what that shop was called. I think I've been in that shop and I can't was there a long time. remember you probably what have. it's called. No, me neither. Right, okay. So, Jace, come on then. First guitar for you. Hondo 2 Les Paul Custom with a, a bolt-on neck. And um, I didn't realise that uh, I, it came off the strap once and hit the floor and it flaked some of the, the paint off it. And actually you could see that it was hollow but filled with some kind of concrete material. <laughs> Obviously for the tonewood properties. <laughs> mm, right, okay. And, and yours was? I had a Hona Les Paul, um, which, was, which was this weird kind of... It went from one shade of grey to another. Nice. Um, and I don't quite know why I settled <laughs> on a on a Hona Les Paul. Because I don't even like Les Pauls. Um, you see, I'm, I'm convinced that that's the reason why I naturally gravitate towards Gibson scale length kind of guitars. Because that was just the first one that I had. Right. Do you not just, do you not like Les Pauls because they put you that one put you put you off it? No, because I've tried since and I don't like the distribution of the weight. I don't like the fact that then they they're neck heavy. Mm. Um so they're not neck heavy. I mean, they're they're neck, Les Pauls. Like, like, the Les Paul is like Four hundred pounds of body on one end and a neck on the other. It, it seems to drag down. It just all <laughs> seems just really. It just doesn't. It doesn't sit properly. It kind of it falls in the wrong place for where my hands want to go. That's because you haven't got your foot on a monitor. If you had right. your foot on a monitor, Les Pauls make perfect sense. Right, <laughs> right. And then to be honest, at, at, at the music shop called Berries in Workshop. Which yeah. was a traditional music stop with about four or five guitars in it. They clearly hadn't thought that through, had they? No. Or there would have been like a HH, a knackered HH wedge monitor on the floor for me. Well, they shouldn't. I've always said that guitar shops should have mirrors because you want to mm. know that it suits you. I bought, um, because as everybody knows who listens to this podcast, I was a big Kiss fan. I bought one of the Paul Stanley, uh, it's not an Iceman, it's a PS10. Um, he's very specific about that. Looks like an Iceman. Um, and I got it home and we went to rehearsal and the rehearsal room, we got mirrors and I looked at myself and went, you look a dick. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, if I'd have had a mirror in the shop, I wouldn't have bought it. Mm. Mm. Well, that seems fair. Seems fair. So Rosie, always acoustic for you? Flirt with electric? I did. I have flirted with electric. Um, you were unfaithful I, for a while, were you? I was unfaithful, but then I saw the errors of my ways and reverted back to right. being a wholesome acoustic player again. A wholesome acoustic player. <laughs> right. Which electric was it? Telecaster? Um, well, my first one was a Schecht, uh, Squire. A Squire with a sunburst. And then my second one was a Schecter Guitar Research. Uh, orange guitar which i bought in new york at the guitar center there flew it home with me Ooh, oh, yeah. Ooh. Ooh, <laughs> i bet, I bet those shectors then 
would have probably been what handmade in <laughs> California at the time. Yeah, uh, uh, it's asking me now. Yeah, it must have been like fifteen, at least fifteen, twenty years ago. Seven, but six, <laughs> sixteen years ago. Yeah, about sixteen years ago. So maybe I don't. Uh, yeah, I can't remember. But it was nice. I really liked it. And I wasn't. I wasn't actually looking to buy it, but it, the, just the tone was just stood out to me. Was, I tried because they had tons of guitars on the wall there. And I try, and I, I kind of had my heart set on a PRS. Well, I couldn't afford it, but you know, the my dream guitar then was the PRS with the birds flying down there stock. Um, but I think I tried some Gibsons and, and Les Paul style guitars, and just this one had the bluesy crunch. So I was just like, man, that's 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 what I want. So you play electric guitar, then you move back to acoustic. <laughs> yeah. So um. Yeah, I played at university, um, started doing, I did some lessons um, in Liverpool above the Dawson shop and leaving university, leaving, not playing in a band anymore. I kind of just naturally retreated back to acoustic playing and using that as my kind of um, support for singing songs and going to open mic nights and stuff. So who are your influences then? What's your, what's your style? Um, so I think back then I would have said kind of that, that kind of singer songwriter that was popular around the late 90s and kind of Eva Cassidy, uh, Cheryl Crow, Alanis Morissette. Um, but then the electric stuff was definitely more bluesy. Like I love artists like B.B. King and Jimmy. And I mean, I nowhere near kind of would say that my playing was influenced by them because I'm just they're just ridiculous um but yeah definitely a bluesy bent to that which I guess kind of then came back into my playing my acoustic playing a little bit as well because I scrolled back through your Instagram for several years and watched the videos of you playing I would have sworn you'd have gone old folk was kind of like the Mm. the first sort of thing yeah which is strangely because yeah folk I like traditional folk um I still would say kind of doesn't massively float my boat but I guess kind of the singer songwriter came out of folk I mean Joni Mitchell Mm. again I was late to the party with her but obviously she's you know you know I wouldn't maybe say a a huge influence on what I was doing because like I say I don't think I really wasn't that familiar when I was first starting going to started to write my own songs but I definitely think like Sarah McLaughlin and these artists that came definitely with a follow-on from the folk movement so i guess yeah in a sense it is all derived from from folk i'm a huge sarah mclaughlin fan oh really absolutely fantastic and the Mm. first time i heard um i didn't i wasn't right at the start but i got into her with fumbling towards ecstasy ecstasy Mm, which mm. is just still is the most phenomenal record yeah and she had a something going on there was there's there's a, a a real you know, real kind of slightly dark, slightly brutal edge. Um, mm. You know, to, to particularly to her lyrically, but no, she 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 was great. But yeah, all very very strong artists. You know that you've. I mean, take, maybe taking Eva Cassidy aside a little bit, but I mean Cheryl Crow. You know, mm. Lars Morissette, very you know, um, very very sort of definite style, and I could see how they all flow out of the Joni Mitchell thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's actually, yeah, I haven't really thought about that until you until you said, but I mean, it's it's obviously like it's a thing that's kind of a movement from from something going. It's all well, music is always changing. But yeah, you, it definitely uh, I'm, I'm, you can see the influences there now when you actually think about it. And three very distinctive sounds as well. 
all, mm. all, all three of them. Because it's hard yeah. to hard to really, you know, you go back to that original, that first Sheryl Crow album, and you don't realise the impact that had when it first came out. Mm. Um, you know, really interesting sound. I mean, obviously the Alanis Morissette album just just you know tore the tore the rule book up when it came out. And yeah. I think I think probably if the Sarah McLaughlin one was more of a slow burn, I think if more people have heard, would have heard that, I think that would have had a greater influence as well because that was a really different sound. A really, yeah. you know. I- I think she was, for some reason, she's never had the impact in the UK, I think, that she hasn't had in the US and Canada, which is a shame. Mm-hmm. Um, but she has toured here. I've seen her play here. Um, but, yeah, just doesn't. It, we, I actually found out about her through, um, do you remember the film City of Angels? I do. I she do. was, like, she sung, obviously, the song Angel, which everybody knows. Um, but I, we heard, I accessed her through, that soundtrack and then I would find quite a lot of artists actually through soundtrack albums because in back in the day it was quite difficult to kind of find new artists but if a soundtrack came out you suddenly had 15 songs of artists potentially that you didn't know that you could then go and explore and go to the cd shop and look up those artists and actually that's a really it's a fantastic soundtrack album that one because it's got the Goo Goo Dolls on it which obviously yep. again a lot bigger in the in the US probably than over here, but with that with obviously Iris, which then just became massive and everywhere. Yep. But there's a fantastic Peter Gabriel song I think called "I Grieve" on there, which is also absolutely tremendous. Ooh. Okay, uh, and uh, Alanis Morissette, "Uninvited." Yeah, 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 which yeah. is a, an incredible tune, "Uninvited." Yeah. Mm. Um, so I mean, unusual to have such a collection of really great songs on a. Because it's a rom com, basically, isn't it? I mean, it's not a mm. you know, it did it, it didn't worry the Oscars particularly. <laughs> um, you know, um, but in terms of the soundtrack, there's some really amazing music on that. Yeah, you know, on that on that on that soundtrack. When did the interest transfer to the job to the day job? Mm. Because I, I'm 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 only guessing, but I'm guessing you didn't finish wherever you were, Liverpool. I think you said, and then start building guitars. No, no. So it was it was a period of about six, five, six years in between um, where so I studied marketing at university um, and that kind of came about through not really kind of knowing that that's what I wanted to do, but more kind of feeling like I needed to do something and that seeming like maybe a good open choice for kind of future prospects to study something like business. Um, and then that kind of then drilled down into working within the charity sector in fundraising. So I was working in London at St. John Ambulance and um, the kind of the interest in guitar making came in a roundabout way of me trying to find something that was kind of would let my creativity and the music side of me come out again because I felt like it had all kind of gone away. Um, And so it just so happened that there was an evening course for guitar making at the London Metropolitan University, which was about 20 minute cycle ride away from where I was working. So I, I literally just signed up to it and started going on a weekly basis and it all kind of spawned from there. But before, I guess kind of like what made me even think of that was um, my, I had a 12 string guitar, an acoustic guitar, which said, and, I, and I've looked up this brand and I can't find it, but it was called Lakeland, not to be confused with Lakewood, which is a German acoustic brand, but Lakeland, and it said made in the, in the Lake District, which then I thought, oh, guitar made in England. That's a really funny thing, because I just like probably like most people assumed most guitars were either made in the Far East or in America. So then that got me thinking, well, let me learn a bit more about guitars being made in this country, finding out about Patrick Eggle, Roger Bucknell, um, 
and um so then i started to yeah investigate the the, the prospect of guitar making and i and i was always quite good with my hands um but hadn't really had a chance to utilize anything since school and obviously i had kind of the love for playing acoustic so it was more just marrying two things together and just kind of going along and seeing if i might enjoy it and then it just all kind of spawned from there slowly but surely really how long was the course um, well it was ongoing um but they said at the time because you would imagine that you'd just like i think everybody signs up to the course thinking you'll, you'll float in for two terms come out the other side with a perfectly formed acoustic guitar and the skills to start a career well hey uh, <laughs> it doesn't start like that so the first term i think i learned how to square up a neck oh. um <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so i was like okay i'm in it for the long haul now i did i did actually i did that course for two years but i didn't actually finish a guitar but after a year of doing that, then I started doing an internship uh, with a maker. Well, I was also, I went to Denmark Street on weekends. There was um, Luthier's Corner. There's a, a lady called Celine Camelink. She worked with a guy called Dave King, who's a Luthier. Oh, Dave. They had, you, you, yeah, I was thought you might know him. He, um, yeah, they had a repair shop and I just wanted to get a bit more experience. So I was doing my evening course and I thought, oh, I want to get a little bit more experience. Let me go to Denmark Street and see if there's somebody I can just help um, on weekends. And yeah, so I started helping Celine out on Saturdays. And then, so that was, I did that for a year. So then two years into the, into a year into doing that and two years into the course, then I got an internship, which then, I went part-time with my work to do that so that event well, that's when I kind of moved on from those things and just started the internship and did that for another two years and then set up my own workshop two years after that so kind of four years in the making of part-time training and then moving into part-time working was, for myself. Was it way more difficult than you'd expected it to be? Yeah absolutely um, but the weird thing was, like, normally, I mean, I wouldn't kind of, I think most <laughs> people might say that I'm not kind of, I've never been kind of, you know, to stick to my guns with something this difficult. Um, mm. But for some reason, even guitar playing, like, I, I can see what needs to be done, the practice that needs to be done to become good. But I just, could, to a certain degree, I just couldn't you know sit down and just do it over and over again to take myself to the next level but for whatever reason with this I could or you know I could put in the time mm. and it just it clicked with me to the point that I could I could push myself to go beyond what seems reasonable to keep going so are you saying that normally you're a bit flaky possibly <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine yeah. with that I'm very flaky <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no. So um, for some reason, with this, I wasn't, and I just kept, I just kept at it. Um, but yes, a lot harder than you imagine it to be. Just there's so many, there's so many aspects. Oh yeah, I won't go into it. But there's just a lot more to it than you you could ever imagine. I, I remember it, chatting to um, Richard from Santa Cruz uh, mm. Guitars at a Nam show once, and he said, "I'm paraphrasing because I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was like if." If a plumber charged you the same hourly rate, uh, as the, uh, sorry, if a guitar maker charged you the same hourly rate as a plumber would, when it build not not electrics but building acoustics and all of mm. that tapping the tone and you know shaping the bracing and all that, it's like the average acoustic guitar would cost something like twenty five thousand pounds. Yeah, <laughs> and it's kind of like yeah, because 
you know, I, I haven't made guitars. I've bolted together tons of part casters of you know bits of, uh, and the, it's a relatively simple thing. You can press the CNC, and a Telecaster body shape comes out with all mm-hmm. of the holes drilled and everything. But acoustics is just way more complicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I, I was kind of researching it, and you've you've done the the, the E series, the English Woods, which yeah. I think is, is is a really nice thing so i was going to ask you about that but the thing that struck me was there's a lot of wood out there and without wishing to get into a huge tone debate is there just like a ton of like you make a guitar out of i don't know you or something and you finish it and you go oh it sounds a bit shit and you've Mm -hmm. got to start again yeah is that that the kind of process you had to go through with the e-series yeah and to I mean so to begin with I that was kind of my premise that it may sound terrible so I kind of want to keep it a bit on the DL that I'm doing this Mm. in case you know I don't actually want to push it so right at the beginning I made um, a full E-series traditional wood more traditional wood model side by side so that I could kind of know that they were the same size. You know, it's, this isn't hugely scientific, so I'll put a caveat on that. But, you know, building it side by side, just so I can, at the end, play them together and kind of hear the nuances of the tone. And what I came, what my conclusion just from that initial process was the English guitar, it does sound different. And that's the thing. It's kind of, it's, it doesn't have that traditional sound, but in my mind, the sound was good. It was responsive. It was warm. It was kind of the, the the woods that I'd used kind of had like a great mellowness to it. That you know was an, an enjoyable tone. So that was where I was kind of like, okay, I think I'm onto something. But yeah, you're right. It's what you start to kind of think is well, this is such. It takes me such a long time to build a guitar. Do I want to kind of be that experimental? Because at the beginning as well like the build process is slow it's not like you can just say well you know I'm going to build 10 guitars and you know throw a few aside when you're starting it's very slow so you kind of have to be careful about what you use because you just you don't have the time and you don't have the the resources to waste like things to just say oh that was that went wrong never mind um so to a certain degree you have to be careful about what you choose so I started by choosing woods that I knew had been used so walnut has been used in many you know regions um cherry has been used you are used because um another maker had used it so it was all kind of like I wasn't just randomly picking woods I was thinking about the properties of them I was thinking how am I structurally going to support these woods as well um, so I always kind of knew at the beginning that I was hopefully in the right direction. Um, what I've often found with new words is that, oh, OK, that, that's good at that or it's not good at that or it's certain playing styles. Um, it excels or it's not so good. So I go, yeah, I, I certainly think, OK, it works for this, maybe not for this. So now I know how to guide its use for future custom orders, if that makes sense. um but as far as kind of it saying oh no that didn't work to any degree I'd like to think that I haven't that hasn't happened because I've always tried to make conscious decisions to avoid like a oh that was completely the wrong word because I shouldn't be making that decision in the first place so when you're training um for the two years uh, and then mm. two years of an internship mm. and you know I, I would imagine a lot of it is like you know 
um, this is how you square a neck and blah 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 and all that sort of stuff and use your chisels and uh, and all that sort of stuff but is there an element of having to have like ear training as well because I, I mean like you know i've played mm. guitar for like 35 years and i go yeah that acoustic sounds nice i have no idea why it sounds nice or mm. that it sounds any different you know i can hear that <clears throat> an expensive acoustic sounds better than a cheap acoustic mm. i don't know why do you have to go through yeah. that sort of process as well I, yeah that's an interesting question because i think my can come from somebody else because i'm too close to it um obviously you know i i know what i like and actually it's very good to try other people's instruments to get that kind of perspective to be surrounded by your own instruments completely all the time i think you do to lose perspective of whether you think it's whether you know it's good or not so firstly i try to get feedback shows like you know the guitar show and all that kind of stuff is perfect to get a lot of people playing guitars and and they're you know they're often not shy to say what they like and don't like about it that's really really useful um playing other people's guitars hearing them play it at you because again the way i play i play with my my flesh and so sometimes it can sound like I'll play one of my guitars and be like, oh, like it, like certain notes are jumping out or sounding a bit muddy. But then somebody else will play in a different position to me and it'll sound completely different. So it's, it, it's, 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 it is difficult to yeah, develop that sense of because it's such a, such a subjective thing. Like, yeah, how how do you start to just kind of determine one where do you want to go with your tone, but equally yeah, how do you even assess kind of how it sounds because there's so many variables yeah so when someone places uh, an order with you I'm, I'm assuming it's not a kind of yeah yeah i've got it in stock here you go put it in a case mm. send it off to them it's like a whole mm. process of you know a custom built guitar within certain parameters of your range i would assume um mm. so i'm assuming you ultimately have to interview them into what they're expecting to receive is, yeah is that right yeah 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 so there's a whole a whole load of questions that you have to go through some of which is it can be easy or it can be quite difficult so they can have quite um an idea of or they they can give you information that's quite clear or sometimes it can yeah there's, there's different strands of conversation kind of like well what's your background with playing so sometimes they don't have that many instruments sometimes they have loads that can be a determinant of where you want to go with another instrument do you want something the same do you want something different um what kind of music you play um so yeah um they can sometimes give you videos where you but again do you see them in person do you are you talking over email um so it's definitely that is as much of a skill in itself for guitar makers to be able to kind of communicate effectively with customers to get that information out, but equally understanding how different different backgrounds, but also kind of how, where they're coming from to determine what they're looking for in an instrument, if that makes sense. Do you, do you ever sort of like a chatting to someone and I don't know, just they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd really like a, 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 a jumbo acoustic yeah but but i play what i play should be played on a, a 
triple O size or, or or something, and you're like, no, 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 it does. It needs to be this model when you're talking to them, but they won't have it, and they end up purchasing something. Uh, not that, not to that extreme, I don't think, <clears throat> with regards to size. But I'm just trying to think, maybe with regards to tone, that like. So they play in a certain style, but they're talking about, you know, a wood combination that maybe doesn't suit yeah. that style. That maybe could be an instance where that happens. Um, in which case, yeah, again, that's a bit of a an art into trying <laughs> <laughs> either to, because <laughs> you're kind of like, well, maybe, you know, and, you know, I've still got a lot to learn. That's to be said. So you're kind of, sometimes you're thinking, well, you know, actually maybe it could work for that style. But then sometimes you're like, well, I know that this, you know i know what i can build with this could deliver that so you know your past experience is informing what you know what you're you're guiding yeah. people but then you're sometimes just the the inquisitive nature if somebody does throw a curveball at you sometimes you are a bit like oh, man, that could be interesting you know so <laughs> i i mean it must be a, a complete minefield um to deal with uh i i've I, do you do you end up and because I, I know very little about acoustics, which is terrible, really. But did you end up tuning them slightly differently for like the same model tuned slightly differently? Is that something you can do? Um, so I've I've experimented with like noting what the tunings are of the plates. Um, oh. So that's getting kind of geeky as to what the more you remove from your braces the tone of the top or the back will drop yeah. increasing the flex and dropping the note so i played around there's only like certain parameters you know to a certain degree you have the ability to manipulate that so that's like kind of the first thing to say is that you can't your bracing pattern obviously is is a massive important thing and that's kind of set in place you can remove wood but to a certain degree you only got so much power to manipulate so that's kind of like what i've learned as well and you also kind of, you can't manipulate it or you can't remove so much material that you've lost structural integrity. So you've got all these factors in play and you do, and what I have done is kind of listened to how the notes have dropped specifically on the top and the back as you've removed material and kind of noted them and mm. then gone on to say, well, how has that guitar progressed into an instrument and the outcome of that? um but yeah that's it's more just kind of like data collection more than anything because interestingly you can carve a, a, a back exactly the same but if it's a different piece of wood you're dealing with a different mass and the different properties of the wood so your note is going to be different mm. before you even started so there's like again when you start to go into the, all these things you can get a bit frustrated because there's just so many variables that you can't really control does that mean if somebody comes to you and said, oh, you, you built me this, it's great, but I need a second one and I want it to be exactly the same, that you kind mm. of have to throw your hands up and say, I'm sorry, it's just... Well, if it's to be exactly the same, then you probably could... Yeah, I mean, yeah, you have to kind of say, well, the wood is going to be different, the top yeah. is going to be different. Um, so, yeah, I can't guarantee that it's going to have... The... And also, your guitar has been played in for two years, so yeah. you're going to get the new one. It's going to sound like... Because you always say it's, it's the worst it's ever going to sound when you first play it. So they now in their heads have got that sound. So you just say, well, okay, it's going to be different. So yeah, to a certain degree. But you would say, I think I could now confidently say the character of the guitar will be the same. So yeah, I love that. By the way, that's that. That's all the way back to your business school 
tricks. Well, not tricks, but learning there. That that kind of it's going to sound the worst it's ever going to be. As yeah, I hand it to you and take your money. Absolutely. <laughs> I think that's, Enjoy. That's really, that's really, really, really clever. I mean, clearly, clearly, this is your calling. I mean, you can. I mean, just just the way you talk about it, just you know, the 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 the, the fact that it, it it hit straight away, and you were you were put you were mm. you were like going to put the hours in. Mm. Um, has in terms of the instruments you build, is that in your head what you? Th- that what you thought those instruments would turn out like are you or or has, has it developed from that you know because I'm, I'm assuming at some point when you started that course you thought you you sort of thought down the line and thought it's going to be me with we affected with my name on a guitar mm. you know are, is that is what you're actually producing now what that what that picture in your head was um weirdly I think when I first started I kind of imagined okay so I'd I think I had started and I'd gone to visit um, Santa Cruz, Sir Richard Hoover, been, went to his workshop in Santa Cruz. And I was just like, yeah, that's it. That's me. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do exactly that. And then kind of as you start to grow the company, he's obviously, I think he's been in business for, I'd say, about 50 years now. Mm. Um, then you start to think, OK, I can understand why it's 40 years because to get to that level just takes a significant amount of time um but i think even prior to that when i was starting to dream about you know potentially a guitar company i was thinking oh you know i'll get my designs and then it will go go off to the far east and i'll (laughs) like my brand you know then the concept of luthery only really bloomed for me when i really started to learn the you know Mm -hmm. the, the the real detail of it and fall in love with that so that kind of actually in a weird way followed that then i started to think oh no like making it myself hand building um that's that's the actual true that that's the that's what I'm loving about it not kind of the thought of wanting just to mass produce something um so yeah so I, in a way I guess no it, it, I mean it didn't it, it, what I'm doing now wasn't originally kind of when I first started it but it has kind of like yeah maybe ask me in 20 years I don't know things you know are constantly adapting but I'm certainly kind of not I'm not doing exactly what I originally thought but probably quite swiftly started to see that this might be the way that it would go and that's really interesting when you said about Luthery versus sending a load of designs off which essentially is Mm. manufacture isn't it really yeah 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 um you know in terms of you, you you draw something you send it away it comes back you have a look mm. at it, you tweak a little bit, you send it back. That that doesn't feel like what you're anything close to no. what you're doing. No. And also having the workforce as well, the, you know, an external work, workforce or, you know, what I get, I think the way that it works in the Far East is that you, they, there's just a fleet of workers that work on different mm. brands or that. I, mean, yeah. I know that's what some people have done. Um, but yeah, having that's that's a whole different kettle of fish that I wouldn't even know how to uh navigate like how you would work with in that situation um but yeah no i mean that's that definitely wouldn't appeal to me now and yet in, if you go back to your degree mm. yeah almost that's the path that your your training would take you on yeah yeah because all the other skills you would need to market and distribute and all those kind mm. of things that's ultimately where you start in this in yeah. kind of way isn't it and and that and that's it's interesting that you say that because that's probably where that whole mindset came from was you build the brand, you have yeah. the product, you deliver it to market. 
And then actually it was like, oh no, actually there's something, is with something within the product that's even more interesting. <laughs> so did, did, um, cause we should mention Carl who we've seen hovering mm. around in the background oh, okay. <laughs> and shouting East, not West of <laughs> Gatwick. Um, so Carl now works for the business, doesn't mm. he? It, yeah. Was he a guitar maker as well? No, so we we met each other because we both uh, he worked at St John Ambulance at the same time that I did, and um, he worked in IT. And so what's I then started my evening course, uh, I think just not so long after we first got together, and so he's kind of been on this whole journey as a worked well, initially as a kind of a moral support, oh, and then, then starting the business. Obviously, he was came and helped me or just you know looked around my premises which I've been here since the start I've kind of grown but this actually the room that I'm sat in was kind of the first room that I rented um kind of talking about problems with the build obviously there you're you're hit daily when you're learning you hit daily with mind-bending confusing aspects of the build that quite often you just need to talk through with somebody so you know even though he wasn't building guitars he would often have quite a much more than uh, a normal person a, a good understanding of all the different aspects to the build and then obviously coming along to shows with me I would have my guitars I would talk about them so then if I needed to go to the toilet or something he would then start talking about it so I think it was just kind of a natural kind of thing for us to then just start working a little bit more together um but then it came to a point where we were starting to think well actually no I was just remembering the the kind of the push into actually helping me was when we took our spray finishing in-house which is a whole kind of another mind-bending stressful job that I just needed somebody to say you know if we're going to do this if you can do this with me which now he's subsequently gone on, to just, he, he is the person that does it for me, that, you know, this is where I need help and we can start to maybe work together. Uh, that, at the end, has developed into other parts that he's now starting to, or was starting to get involved in, um, to the point where he went part-time with his work. And then, kind of like me, I, I was part-time with my work for a while just to kind of keep the builds juggled and then he did the same part-time and then full-time um and then yeah now we're kind of like venturing to new 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 things that he's getting more involved in and I'm kind of stepping back from because again that's kind of I, I always thought was important for us to have our parts that we are kind of in charge of so that we can say that no, that's that's my part that's your part so you're not always kind of like treading on each other's toes and stuff I'm really pleased actually in just the way you explain that, because for a minute I thought, is this like teachers or police officers, where teachers marry teachers and police officers? Yeah. And I thought, well, if Luthiers marry Luthiers, that's that's a really small pool to fish in, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, so at least at least that's not a thing, uh, mm. which, which is which is quite, you know, I don't know why I would worry about that, but I would probably go away and worry about that. You'd worry about the children. I, 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 well, 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 yes, there is that, and their and, and their strange fascinations as kids. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I I'm, shouldn't get concerned about things like that. But there we are. No, so, so what's next? What's next? Well, so yeah, I think we've we've got kind of a busy year ahead of us. Um, we are upping our production a little bit. Um, so 
guitars are kind of moving through the workshop faster we're getting more done um because we're going to have a few stock models and again this is kind of like when you don't it's it's nice to have a small amount of instruments coming through but sometimes you can't like for example go to the guitar show this year because we don't have guitars um but it's nice to kind of up production to a certain degree because then you've got guitars to go and do new things with like prospect artists or go to guitar shows so we're going to have a few stock this year so we're going to see what we're going to do with that as far as maybe putting it into some artists hands and things like that um shows wise we're still kind of recovering from covid a little bit they don't seem to be up to full speed yet nor are we kind of in a position to to go out to many but we might have again have with stock we might be able to go out to some shows later this year um no no new models or anything kind of that aspect this year but more just kind of still drilling down our processes in here and and getting things kind of moving nicely and just kind of back up to speed after having a baby last year as well right I, talking of artists um when i'm doing my other job i work with tristan oh uh, nice and uh, I've seen many of his videos of him playing your guitars. Yeah, he he lives about half an hour away from here, so. Yeah, he's got yeah. a really long commute into Birmingham. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I see him a couple of days a week. <clears throat> oh, I didn't realise he came up that often. Yeah, well, I think he sta- he must stay overnight just do mm. like two days in the office sort of thing. Um, oh, okay. He's a phenomenal player, though, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, lovely guy. Yeah, I should ask him if he wants to do the guitar show one year, really. Mm. Probably yeah. should. Speaking Probably of should. guitar shows and back up to speed, <laughs> one guitar show is very much back up to speed, Jason. Uh, it, yeah, it is. It's um, it's about 18% bigger than last year's show, um, which is really cool. Um, the ticket sales are tracking above where they should do. So, yeah. And new venue. Um, which I'm really quite excited about. I was sad to hear about the hall burning down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just it was horrible, horrible for them, horrible for the 50 weddings that they had to cancel that mm. were going to go on. Um, and then I, I don't know. I haven't spoken to them for a couple of months. I, I did get a Happy New Year message off them. I'll pop back and have a look at where they are. But it, there was no way it was going to be ready for February. But but the new place, um, you know, I think it it has the potential to work even better, really. It's all on the ground floor now. Um, the acoustic room is much bigger and it's almost full right now, which is really cool. Um, and I've gone from 150 car parking spaces to 550. Mm-hmm. So um, that will alleviate one of the main problems with Bingley Hall, really. So fingers crossed, touch wood and everything, you know. It sh- it should be okay, he says. <laughs> I hate this period of the year. Absolutely hate it. Oh, it's going to be fine. Stop stop faffing about. You've been doing it for forever. I, I am fully aware of this. It doesn't get any easier. Oh, here we go. Here because we go. it doesn't matter how organised I am, I have to deal with 120 exhibiting companies that aren't as organised as I am. <laughs> They're all lovely and everything will be fine. Rosie, thank you very, very much for your time. It's been an absolute joy to talk to you. Oh, no, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. And uh, and, and hopefully we'll we'll see you soon mm. uh, in, in, in the flesh at something. <laughs> uh, I'm sure there'll be an opportunity. 
Um, we ought to just thank our um, sponsors. Yes, we uh, should. We should thank Focusrite. And uh, this is made using a Scarlet 2i2. Uh, and also, um, I've got to start doing the thanking reverb over the next three episodes when they send through the words for right, sponsoring the live stage. Right, because they're sponsoring stage. the live stage. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, we'll say thank you to Reverb in a kind of non-wordy way then. <laughs> kind of tar. Yeah. Tar Cheers, Reverb. Mate. Yeah, that'll do. Right, in which case, I will see you next time. All right, see you soon, mate. Thanks, Rosie. Thank you. Thanks for listening to 9 to 42, the podcast from the team at the Guitar Show UK. If you've enjoyed the show, then please remember to hit the subscribe button and share with other like-minded souls. For more information about 9 to 42, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at the Guitar Show UK. This has been an A Short Stories production. Hold up. 